Warning, the following podcast contains frank discussion of rape and rape culture. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, this is Tommy Thompson, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 71, Moments to Live. Losing her, Doctor. Do something. Doctor? Uh, doctor, are you all right? Uh, yeah, I, I just need a second to figure out what... She's in full arrest. She's gone. No. She can't be. It's your fault. What? She trusted you and you killed her. Oh, you bastard, you murdered my wife! Oh, boy! She's still alive. What? Are you sure? I'm a doctor. I know if somebody's dead or alive or not. Give me some adrenaline now. Some what? Adrenaline now. I'm sorry, because somebody tell me what's going on here. Cut. Cut, cut! What are you doing to me, Kyle? I'm two hours behind schedule and you're making passes at dead extras. It's uh, May 4th, 1985. You're in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, your name is Kyle Hart, and for the past three years, you've been playing Craig Connor, Dr. Craig Connor, yeah. on a show called Moments to Live. Moments to Live. Can you believe that title? I mean, I hate the sound of this already. Why am I here? Uh, well, we're not sure. You know what I have to do today? I have to go and have lunch with some woman who won this soap detergent contest. You don't know how long I've been dreaming about this. Imagine me, Norma Jean Pilcher, having lunch with finest art surgeon in this country. Oh, yeah, right. That's my character from the show, yeah. Moments to Live is more than a show. It is a window to another world. Hank says I'm obsessed. Hank? Yeah, Hank, my husband. Well, the big date is not going well. Well, she's having a little trouble separating the actor from the role, you know what I mean? Yeah, that can be kind of scary. No, what's scary is having to go in front of those cameras now. Have you found out why I'm here? Sort of. Sort of? Sort of not good yes. enough. I need to know exactly. I gotta get out of here before those cameras roll on Monday. I don't think you have to worry about that. Why not? Well, because in the real history, Lyle Hart never showed up for work. What? He just Sorry to keep you waiting. Oh, Ready yeah. Ready to go? Yeah, I just gotta have him bring the car. No, I'll, that won't uh... be necessary. Okay, let's go. A lover boy here decides to call for help. You got a gun, don't you? Oh, that's right. Now, you try anything cute, and I'm gonna give you a new belly button. You got it? I got it. 
But all we know is this guy Hart vanished for two weeks, and then some park rangers found him wandering around in the mountains 500 miles from here. He had a shotgun wound in the head, and he couldn't remember a thing a that happened A shotgun wound in the head? Yeah. I gotta get away from these people. It just seems to me like she's maybe a little... Looney. Confused. Norma Jean can be a little headstrong sometimes. Yeah. But see, this, this baby means an awful lot to her. Baby? What baby? I think you're going to make just a perfect daddy. Daddy. That's why she kidnapped me. So that so that I could help her have a, a baby? Damn sure ain't going to happen with that, that no-count husband of hers. Well, somebody woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Actually, getting up right now is a little bit of a problem. I'm sorry about that. Hank thought it'd be better this way. How does Hank feel about all this? Feel what? Come on, it's got to bother him a little bit to know that his wife wants to be with another man. I do not want to marry you. I just want to have a baby with you. That doesn't strike you as the least bit unusual. I like unusual. This is crazy. Don't say that! Don't you ever say that! Well, I better get everything all ready for tonight. I'm going to make dinner for us. Hello, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I have fallen down a lift shaft and been replaced by my evil twin brother, Raoul. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. If you could add an echo to Raoul, that would be perfect. Thank you, Chris. You, you should add that little, like, uh, the kind of soap opera organ music <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now I get the joke because soap opera. Oh! Oh, seriously? You didn't get you that? Did, oh. No! <laughs> <laughs> we were even watching someone last week fall down a lift shaft. <laughs> we, you, the, the, oh, Chris. What was the, the line Al had? Like, we prefer to call them daytime dramas? Is that what it was? We prefer daytime drama. Daytime dramas, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I almost took issue with that. And then I remembered that I used to watch a soap opera when I was in college because Laura did. So I have no defense. <laughs> Aww. Maybe we'll get to that. You guys are so sweet. <laughs> no, I'm just a loser. <laughs> so. And then no one argued with you. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to keep on talking Silence. past that, but. <laughs> Pause for argument. And you're like, yeah, I'm just a loser. Ha ha ha. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> it's like saying water is wet. We know. Move on. We love you, Chris. So, Raul, mm. since you're evil, shouldn't you be a little bit more cockney? A little bit more uh, like... like Cockney? Yeah, like, you know, bare-knuckled. Is that what Americans think evil British people are? Cockney? Yeah, I think that, like, Matt, you sound very public school. So I got to think that Raul's got to sound like a boot black. Well, he could be Cockney or very, like, proper British, you know, like, very educated. That's what I mean by public school. Yeah, but apparently I'm already public school, Alison. <laughs> private school. Private school. Harvard. Harvard? <laughs> Harvard. No, no, see, it's different in the UK. Why do they call it public school in the UK? I do not know. Public school is one that the public can't get into. <laughs> oh, oh, I didn't know that. Now I learned something. I was always very confused by the nomenclature, but I know that when you say it's public school, it's like hoity-toity. It's like it's exclusive. Yes. Yes. I, I went to a school that any member of the public could go to, but it was not public school. I didn't know that's, that you called public school like that. Like, I thought he just meant like literally public school. I'm like, what? Like the American public school. 
Nice. I mean, I literally went to PS 108 when I lived in the Bronx. So I am public school, but American public school is completely different. You know, I just recently uh, learned a, a British term, uh, teddy boys. <laughs> well, <laughs> is this is this going to be a family podcast? It, no, it's it's not. No, no, it's no, not no, dirty. It's t- teddy boys. <laughs> You're thinking of furries. Um, <laughs> you know what no, I'm t- talking t- about, right? Teddy boys. <laughs> Yeah, but it's hardly um, something you may have recently learned, but hardly cutting edge in terms of culture. <laughs> no, I didn't think it was. I just, well, because I was looking up Slim Jims, right? <laughs> I was looking up Slim Jims. You know, and as you do. Like, yeah, because I was like, there's a candy that was called Slim Jims. I couldn't find hardly any evidence it existed. And then it was like, Slim Jim is also a form of tie worn by teddy boys. I'm like, what What the hell is a teddy boy? And they're like, uh, you know, uh, in British subculture, uh, young men that would wear things, styles uh, inspired by dandies, Edwardian period, mm-hmm. uh, stuff like that. Is this something you'd heard of, Matt? Oh, yeah. But again, I was born in 1980. We haven't really had teddy boys in my lifetime. Have you ever heard of Smutty Smith? (laughs) (laughs) Is that a person? No, I haven't. That that one's new to me. Uh, Yeah, on Wikipedia, their number one example of a teddy boy is Smutty Smith, bassist of Levi and the Rockettes in the 1980s. What are we talking about? In the 1980s, really? Smutty Smith. Who is Smutty Smith? Oh, he does have a bit of a teddy boy thing going on there. Yeah. No, that's that's unusual. We're in a Slim Jim. For the 80s. (laughs) Implied. It's a side profile, but of course he's got to be wearing a Slim Jim if he is a real teddy boy. That's Smutty Smith. Wow. Well, we're all learning things today. (laughs) We watched Quantum Leap today, right? (laughs) I think we did. Yeah, I don't know. Ostensibly, shrug. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Raul. We were talking about Raul. Do you have uh, facial hair or uh, or an eye patch or any sort of scar? I picture a Van Dyke. I definitely have a what? A Van Dyke. What dick? I mean, what, oh, sure. Van Dyke is a style of facial hair, right? Yes. Oh, oh right. Sorry. I, th- I thought you imagined I looked like the guy from Mary Poppins. <laughs> uh, With the great accent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Miri. Um, I've just got a little a little moustache. One of those little tiny ones like the uh, the guy from All Americans. Like, like John Waters' moustache? <laughs> like, a, like a pencil moustache? Yes, yes. Gotcha. It looks ridiculous on me. You picked the creepiest <laughs> facial hair. You are an evil twin. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's not even long enough to twirl. <laughs> hey, what was the episode we watched, huh, Chris? Hey. <laughs> I know, we're on season four, right? <laughs> yeah, we're on season four. And the episode we watched was Moments to Live, which I guess is where we got this whole Raul subplot. Uh, what a twist! Who knew that we were not only a podcast, but a daytime drama? I had no idea. <laughs> On the topic of the QLP being a daytime drama, I kind of wish I'd just shown up completely unprepared and claimed to have amnesia. Because, you know, that's, <laughs> oh my that's God. another good one. Yeah. The, the amnesia plot. Yeah, sorry. I, I Last Quantum Leap I remember was season three sometime. Uh, everything since then, I, I got knocked on the head. It's a blur. Oh, then one of you has got to reveal that you're pregnant. <laughs> yes. I'm going to watch Temptation Eyes and it'll all come flooding back. Well, well, Matt, it's or Raul, I don't know which one you are. Do you even remember? You could be Matt. No! If you've had amnesia this whole time, you could be your own evil twin. 
Oh. Right? Now that's that a twist. That will be the big <laughs> twist. Wow. So I don't know if I'm talking to Matt or if I'm talking to Raul, but one of you needs to give me your initial impressions of Moments to Live. I love it! Oh, I love this episode. I'm so glad we've got to it. It's brilliant. Um, it, this Okay, this is one of those episodes that comes up we, we've had these kind of episodes before that's come up and we always start off by saying yeah yeah it's not one of those quantum leaps that that deals with uh, like uh racism or sexism or any kind of any kind of big issue it, it's just it's action adventure drama and um and therefore it, it's fun but it's you know maybe not not real deep quantum leap um but I don't care. I, I love it. This is just so much fun. And oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to start getting into it now because I could just talk for an hour <laughs> before we even get into it. So I'll just say yes, 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 yes. What unbridled enthusiasm. Alison, try and follow that. <laughs> oh, man, that's hard to follow. That's, oh, that's the most energy I've seen you have in one of these, Matt. That's great. I, I, have, I have been drinking during the day. Um, so yeah, it, it may be that. Uh, yeah, I think this episode's great too. Like it's it's one of my favorites. I think it's a great dark comedy. Tommy Thompson hitting out of the park again. Really great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, this one is just Tommy in the zone and it has all of the Tommy tropes, all of the Tommy flavor, um some of the Tommy problems. We'll get to those. Mm. But uh, I thought it was just a solid episode. Great cast. I think the actors even make the silliest stuff work. And uh, yeah, just overall, really good one top to bottom. So, hey, I'm glad we're on the same page with this. Yeah. Really top-notch supporting cast in this one. I know we say that a lot, yeah. but they had a lot of really, really great um, that guys. You see them in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think during the 90s, if you'd have said, right, we need a woman to play a nutter, and we need a guy to play another nutter, <laughs> and we need an old lady nutter as well. <laughs> Who are the three people you're going to pick? They got them all. It's oh my like God. my favorite nutters in one place. Ah, sorry, I'm, I'm gushing again. It's if just... we named the podcast like the episodes like had funny names, my favorite nutters would be what, what I'd want to call this one. Uh, to, to be fair, we could probably just rename the whole series of podcasts the Three Nutters, and yeah, maybe you know the the old nutter, the male nutter, and the female nutter. I think would would sum us up. And quite now nicely. Who's, who's the old nutter? <laughs> Oh, bless you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> you go sit in your wheelchair and point a gun at someone. Sorry, I fell asleep. I'm going in circles. <laughs> if we had a Teddy Boy band, it would be called the Nutter Butters. <laughs> <laughs> Much like this podcast, I'm going in circles aimlessly. <laughs> Yeah, what a cast! What a cast! Wow, <laughs> this is great. If we're talking about the cast, yeah, we have yeah. to. We have to. We have to call them out by name. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the person that carried this episode the most. So there was a lot of great people involved. Was Kathleen Wilhoit as mm -hmm. uh, as Norma Jean Pilcher? Uh, she's so great. Every time I see her in something, she's always just like she's so charismatic and compelling to watch. She's got that great voice. Yeah, I remember her in uh, an episode of Cop Rock. I remember her in um, Roadhouse. Roadhouse is probably the, the best movie she was in. Um, she was in uh, Color of Night, also with Scott Bakula, but not in the same oh, scenes. Oh, that's right. 
Yeah. And I forgot she was in Color of Night. Now, it's funny because if you speak to someone of my age, people of a certain age like me, 50, will remember her from a movie called Private School, which had, um, oh, geez, it had uh, Matthew Modine in it. And oh. um, who's the one that everybody loves from Fast Times at Ridgemont High? The brunette that married Kevin Klein, Phoebe Cates. So I've probably seen her on Late Night Cable more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> she was she was great in this and she was she was sort of the comedic foil in that movie. It's actually a, kind of like an 80s classic. It's like along the lines of a Porky's or um, you know one of those weird coming of age movies where everybody's 46, but it works. <laughs> hmm. Oh man. That one would be one I'd, I'd be scared to watch because like I think 80s comedies like that are the ones that hold up the least in modern viewing. <laughs> think of it honestly think if if like oh what's Oh, you know what? Bosom Buddies meets Porky's. Okay. All right. Hmm. Yeah. It's Matthew Modine and his buddies like dressing his dressing his women to go into a private girl school to see people naked. Basically. God. Okay, so. so yeah, it definitely does <laughs> not hold up well in modern viewing. <laughs> definitely <laughs> holds up terribly now. <laughs> Unlike Roadhouse, where someone gets uh their, <laughs> their throat ripped out with their hands, bare hands. <laughs> I have never seen Roadhouse. Wow. I have not seen it for many years. The guy that happened to in the movie was uh, the guy, he was on Quantum Leap once. He was uh, another Quantum Leap guest star from How the Test Was Won. Widowmaker. So both Widowmaker and Patrick Swayze are Widowmakers. I can't believe you haven't seen Roadhouse, that classic Roadhouse. <laughs> I saw it when I was like 10. I have no memory of it. That was post-dirty dancing, right? And after that, Patrick Swayze was already like a sort of like a girls movie kind of deal. So I've never seen Roadhouse. You think Roadhouse is a girls movie? It had Patrick Swayze in it. Yes. <laughs> Do you think Roadhouse <laughs> was a girls movie? <laughs> a man's throat is ripped out with Patrick Swayze's bare hands. Yeah, but the, the poster is Patrick Swayze stood there looking all sexy. It, it does look it is like the it. most macho of overly macho movies. <laughs> Wasn't my cup of tea. So yeah. if you watch Private School, I'll watch Roadhouse. We'll compare notes. How's that? Okay. Was Catherine Wilhoyt uh, a big part in Private School, or she? Yeah. Just, no. Just... She's like she's like the second lead. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, she just I mean, seems yeah. like an awesome kind of kooky lady. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And who's the other nutter, Matt? Ah, oh, Pro Taylor Vince, who does that amazing thing with his eyes. Does he do that in this? Yeah. I don't think that's that's not voluntary. It's uh, it's a disorder that he has that causes his eyes to do that. Maybe maybe he can control it a little bit. I'm not sure, but it it is because of a disorder that his eyes do that. Either way, he's brilliant. Yeah, I recognize him from um, Jacob's Ladder. That's probably one of his more well known movies. Yeah, he did a great job in this. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And of course, the original that guy or that girl, Francis Bay. As Millie. <laughs> Millie. <laughs> I guess that's that's my spirit animal in this one. You guys are saying I'm the old one, the old nutter. <laughs> oh my god. She's so... I love her in everything that she's in. She's a great kooky old lady. Another person that always plays like people who are kind of off in some way. I think the most normal character I've seen her play was in um, Happy Gilmore. When she was uh, his mom or grandma who's uh, <laughs> being abused in the old folks home by Ben Stiller. <laughs> <laughs> She was in an episode of Tales from the Crypt. It was very good. It was like, a, I think it was a body swap episode. She's like some door-to-door -door salesman with this magic necklace. It's like stealing people's bodies. Mm. Yeah, she was great in that. And she was great in this. And she had kind of a small part in this, but she was very memorable. Yeah. 
She always is. Yeah, you know what it reminded me of when we did our interview with Tommy, and he was saying how wonderful it was to write parts for older actors, and he always mm. tried to do that when he could because they were always just so great at what they did, yeah. just their experience was unparalleled, and the way what they could bring to a production if you were able to, you know, get the network to approve it. Um, and I think he proved that again here with this part for her. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, Allison, it was small, but it was memorable. And some of it was a little bit kooky. Um, the fact that she was asleep and going in circles, that's like, to me, classic Tommy. That's right up there with uh, Scott <laughs> getting hit on the head with a frying pan. I got to get out of here. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Donna finally hit him with the frying pan. <laughs> I remember that bit. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to go back to Donna. I don't. <laughs> uh, I hate my wife. I'd rather not go back to that. <laughs> She'll hit me with a frying pan. <laughs> Should have leaped home years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh track. <laughs> Watching too many Tim Allen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, oh boy, <laughs> that's a good bit. <laughs> it's a callback. <laughs> it's so funny, but it's also like I think that's it's the perfect example of this episode. Like. Everything that's happening is not funny in the context of this is kidnapping, uh, hitting him on the head. Um, the whole, the plot, the whole thing that they want to do. I mean, it's, it's rape is what it is. Um, yeah. everything is, is yeah. horrific, but it's darkly humorous the way that they present it. Everything is so ridiculous. So Sam getting hit over the head with a frying pan is very funny, even though he is being hit over the head with a frying pan. <laughs> right. That probably you know, either kill him or at least blind him. Yeah. Crack his skull. But it's funny you say that. I mean, basically it's rape. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I was having such a good feeling about this episode and I, I wrote down all my notes and I went about my day and it occurred to me, wait a minute, why don't we switch genders here? Oh, yeah. And yeah. then all of a sudden, <laughs> this premise becomes very problematic, and it becomes almost nightmarish. If you think about, you know, some guy abducting a woman to have a baby and chaining her to a bed. Mm -hmm. I, I, I got to say this, though. I mean, it, it's sort of consistent for Tommy to have a predator vamp yeah. chasing after Scott, wanting to have sex when he does. That's true. <laughs> Only now she wants a baby. I mean, but uh, he's still in irons, and it's still like, ooh, um, I don't know. Uh I guess it's a testament to the script and to the performances that it works as well as it does. Like you don't even really think about that because just the flow of the episode doesn't give you time to, it's just so well-crafted and you know, you have, you have some drama, you have some comedy. I think it's a real good mix. And um, the other thing that's kind of, that could be problematic is the mental illness and the way that's portrayed here because that's also played for laughs and for drama. And I think he just kind of walked the line on that perfectly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think Kathleen particularly, but also uh, Pruitt really, they sold a lot of that as well. I mean, when, when you asked me for my initial impressions and I was started getting excited about it, the immediate piece that was coming to mind, and I, I don't want to skip too far ahead, but the immediate part that came to mind for me was the the moment where reality starts to kind of break down for Norma, and she's she's starting to figure out that actually he's not really a doctor, and 
that's when the, it, it all gets quite serious and it stops being comedy mental illness. She is properly breaking down and Kathleen absolutely sells that. I thought if I could have a baby, then maybe I could start all over. I mean, why did my mom do it? Why did she do it? I mean, you didn't, you shouldn't just do something like that in front of your own child. And, I just don't want it to be like it is on television. Why can't it be like it is on television? A lesser actress, I think, after a, a 30 minutes of playing comedy crazy person wouldn't pull that off. But the the ending always, or that, that whole sequence always makes me well up um, because it's... It's so moving, and yes, you're right. It's it's very Tommy treading that line, but it's very it's very Kathleen for being such a fine actress for being able to do that. I think like this episode handled mental illness better than Shock Theater. Actually, Shock Theater had a lot of like um, misconceptions uh, about mental illness in it, and some uh, problematic lines and, and dismissals. I think, and this, I mean, I can't speak for someone uh, with actual like severe mental illness, um, how this might come off to them or or people that are more um, experts in this kind of area. To me, uh, it it was kind of it was nice how kind they were uh, to the mentally ill in this um, because it would be very mm-hmm. easy to write off her character who does um, horrific things. I mean, she and her husband both kidnap Sam, assault him, uh, chain him to a bed. And he <laughs> is uh, trying to help her and um, talks about how like, she's just confused and is wondering if she's going to be okay by the end. Like he, they, they don't just go like, Oh, you know, screw her. Uh, they they actually want her and uh, Hank to get help. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, I don't mean to make it about Chris, but I always make it about Chris. Um, one of the things that I had to do in my novel, um, because it does deal with the basically mentally ill antagonist, um, at the end, I wanted her to be sympathetic still. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I tried to pull off too, as well in my novel. I mean, I hope I did, but it was nice to see here because you could tell that they weren't so much malicious as they were desperate and confused. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she was confused and I think Hank was desperate. And they had no no grounding except for each other's delusions. So at least they were there for each other. And... I love the fact that at the end, even though she had, you know, the man of her dreams, Dr. Hunk, you know, locked up and ready to go, it was still Hank that she went back to. And when he was talking about her with Sam, about when they met in the church, just genuinely moving. Of course, again, a little bit kooky, but the way Pruitt sells it, it was just like you you, you believed like, well, he's, he's really in love with her. Mm. So, yeah, again, bringing that heart to the middle of that something that could be just like you know like a romp like like a madcap romp (laughs) (laughs) they don't believe that they're doing anything wrong so they have like the this line um when they're uh they've got sam in the van uh and norma's got him at gunpoint and uh he's like well what do you want do you want like money or do you want like we'll give you whatever you want uh just you know work with me here and she's like do we look like the kind of people who would ransom somebody like yeah. <laughs> honestly she's offended at that while she's kidnapping him so she doesn't believe that this is something serious going on or that they're they're doing something wrong and i took that completely differently i 
thought that like ransoming is something that you would do if you were a little bit more high stakes, like if you were like a genuine kidnapper, where just like that's that's above our pay grade is the way that came off mm. to me. Hmm. I don't know though. I think like <laughs> she says these things that she doesn't realize how strange like she's just being very sincere about it like there's this line uh she has later uh, where um she's got sam uh tied to the bed and uh she's opening the window she's like mm. "Ooh, do you smell that pine mm, smells just like that stuff they use to clean toilets and she <laughs> she thinks that's really like classy like mm, yes this is <laughs> it smells just like that toilet cleaner <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she knows that that sounds weird. I think she's just being very no. sincere about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's something that might have come off as um, just dumb in the hands of a lesser actress. But she manages to walk the line and sells it. Like, I think it's what you were saying, Allison. It's just the sincerity factor. She just has this baseline sincerity. You notice, too, um, when she hits Sam over the head with the frying pan... She doesn't hit him until he says, this is nuts, which I feel like it's because that was a triggering phrase for her. Because later on in the episode, when he's uh, he's chained to the bed, um, he says, this is crazy. And she just flips out. So I think like even things that are that are kind of funny are very serious. That's when everything sort of got real. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. it's it's stopped being just this madcap uh, kidnapping story. With lovable kooks to, wait, man, these are people with some real serious issues. It turned on a dime, but it really worked. I mean, you don't realize how much goodwill the supporting cast has engendered until you see them in peril or them in pain and you feel for them and you feel the pain that they feel. It's like, wow, how did you do that, Tommy? You son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is actually like a lot darker when you realize kind of the context behind it. There's a lot of references to real life, what was going on at the time. This is based partially on a stalker that Scott Bakula had. Yeah. Oh, really? That's why they have that joke at the end. Did you hear that? He wants to take what happened to me here and put it on the show. Yeah, yeah. Nope, I heard, yeah. Is that ethical? It can't be ethical. No, it's television. (laughs) Can we back up a little bit, though? I've never heard this story. What? Give me that bigger story, that broader context. Did you do some research into this, Matt? I feel like I read this in your book. Yeah, there was a woman that, um, I think she'd stalked Michael J. Fox for a while. And then turned to Scott Bakula and she was, she sent him like a thousand letters and she was very annoyed at his wife or his ex-wife. I, I wish I could remember the details. There was a story about it on like um, E or something like that. And she was, she was upset they were getting divorced. Yes. Yeah. There's definitely like one or two clips from it on the Alice Place site. So I remember seeing a little bit on there. Oh, that is super interesting. And super scary. Yeah, I've uh, I've had like one or two, uh, not stalkers to this extent, but I've had stalkers before online, and it it could be scary. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, my notes say he was stalked in ninety five to ninety six. Oh, was this afterwards? Which yeah, this was what ninety three. So. I think this was a coincidence. The notes I've got are he was stalked by a 34-year-old, previously convicted of stalking Michael J. Fox, who she wrote 6,000 letters to. I swear that it was... I, did I just get that because you wrote it in the book, that it was based on that? No, I 
I drew the connection with one of the novels, which was out afterwards. Oh. Not this. I see. Um, oh, Mirror's Edge. Oh, okay. I guess there's a reference to stalking in I that. I thought for sure um, that line at the end was like a reference to it. I guess just a, a it, weird... It would make sense that it would. Weird foreshadowing to real life then, huh? Yeah, I suppose. And, you know, the funny thing, what that scene struck me as is sort of a bow on um, what I thought that this episode was aping, which was the movie Misery. Um, because yeah. there are yeah. undeniable parallels. And at the end of Misery, um, Paul is in the restaurant with his agent and she says, you know, it'd make a hell of a book. And he says, wait, wait, let me just make sure if I heard you right. You you want to <laughs> take the most awful thing that's ever happened to me in my <laughs> life and make money off of it? <laughs> And, you know, then they drop it. Mm-hmm. It's funny, though, because to me, this always stood out in my memory as, oh, it's, this is the Misery episode. I think I've said it before on, on other podcasts. But when I watched it again, this to me seems more like Tommy's comedy take on Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Because it's more of a kooky ensemble than just one lone nut. If you get my, I think That's the only true. thing that was missing, mm. yeah, was was like a weird extended dinner scene between all of them. Yeah, where they got <laughs> Francis know? Bay just sitting there and they're like just shoveling food in her mouth. <laughs> yeah, could be missing a couple of meat hooks too, but you know. I just wanted to go back real quick to the to the like references to real life thing. Uh, I guess we were confused on the the stalker thing, but um, there definitely is like a couple lines that are referencing just like little nods to the audience in real life. At the beginning when he's on set for the soap opera, and uh, his agent says, uh, well, it can't be easy when you're in every scene. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, how, how's it feel like to be lusted after by every housewife in America? <laughs> <laughs> that was another that guy, too, the guy who plays his agent. Yeah, his name is, I have it here. His name is Brian George. And you've probably seen him most recently in The Big Bang Theory. He played Roger's dad. Um, he had sort of an extended um, recurring appearance on that show. But I think a lot of people will also remember him from Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah. He was, uh, ab- was it, I want to say Abu. Mm. He was even in the finale. <laughs> Jerry, you're a very bad man. Very bad. Very, very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> I remember him from that most, but yeah, you're right. I mean, he's another one that's just been in a million things, and um, yeah, he was good in this, you know. Um, one thing that wasn't so good was Matt. I'm surprised you haven't complained about this yet. People on TV not knowing they're on a TV set. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I, I had that as my first note. It's we've not had a chance for it to come up. The, there's there's two things in this episode that I think are incredibly dumb, and and that is one of them. How. He can be there for that long <laughs> right. without noticing the freaking lights and sound. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, you could say that he's focused on saving his patient, but he has no peripheral vision. I mean... <laughs> peripheral? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's a freaking... It's what, a two-walled set? Maybe three-walled? Uh, yeah. You, you're not telling me he can't see the camera right up his nose. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Well, it's, you know, Sam is especially bad at this because if you recall in Disco Inferno, he didn't realize he was on a wire either. How would you and not that notice a- that? <laughs> How, that one was worse. You would have like multiple, um, like that's because because that was an action scene. Like you also would have to do multiple takes in different angles. It wouldn't be like that. I, the soap mm-hmm. opera, I yeah. I believe they'd probably just like really quickly want to get like one. Maybe they were doing a master shot or something. But still, you would notice like even the stage lights alone. Yeah, they'd be shooting that in 
two second increments, not not a whole action scene in one take. Yeah, action but... scene takes like uh, even more than a normal scene would. Yes, uh, I liked all the little details of it being a soap opera, like the the nurse with the really overdone makeup, sexy nurse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's funny because when I saw this the first time around, even um, on the primetime airing, I kind of knew something was off. I knew it wasn't real. And it wasn't because of, you bastard, you killed my wife, but it was the cheesy soap opera music <laughs> that accompanied it. And I said, yeah. this isn't what it seems. I know there's going to be like just a, a, a reveal when it comes back next week. And sure enough, I'm thinking the soap opera music was the real, the real cue. Why would they, they wouldn't play it for comedy. If he really like just saw someone die. Like if he saw a patient die, it wouldn't be like, you killed my wife. Oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) And sexy nurse. Sure. But also sexy husband who actually was in days of our lives. So. Oh, was he? Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Really? He made the cover of that magazine they were looking at. They, they had, like, only guest stars from that episode. Pictures next to Kyle Hart. Like, oh, really? The, I think the sexy the sexy husband guy, it was like, is he on his way out? <laughs> oh, my God, is he? He's in a coma. He fell down a, a lift shaft. I was going to say elevator shaft. I'm sorry, a lift <laughs> <Yeah>. shaft. <laughs> Landed right next to Pulaski. Oh. <laughs> and Matt, apparently. <laughs> I like that Al watches soap operas. <laughs> Pretty good. But what I don't like about Al, can I mention the other stupidly dumb thing about this episode? And one of you guys is going to tell me, yeah, it was a joke, but really, does he really think that women actually powder their noses when they go into toilets? You stay right here. I gotta go powder my nose. Don't go away now. You hear? I wonder if, uh, I wonder if they ever really powder their noses. They used to, I think. I don't think they do now. I thought that's always been a euphemism. Certainly in my lifetime, that's always been a euphemism. Sure. When someone says, I'm going to go and powder my nose, that's not why they're going. I mean, probably not. I think women who do their makeup up more than I do, like if you like get shiny, you want to have like the powder foundation stuff touch up through the day. All right. Th- this is either just a British thing or I'm really showing my my the fact that I'm a guy and I'd love to hear from female British Quantum Leap fans to correct me on this. But my understanding is when you say you're going to go and powder your nose, you're having a piss. Sure. I think <laughs> that's, that's usually that's... <laughs> a polite way of saying it. And like, I've never actually seen someone say I'm going to powder my nose. I think every example you can think of in television or movies, they're just saying it as an excuse to go to the bathroom, either with their girlfriend yeah. or actually just go take a piss. So, <laughs> but, but he's all like, oh, I, I wonder if they really powder their nose. And, and if you're really that interested, Al, you can go there. You've, you've, you've followed women around creepily for four seasons. Well, he's done it many times times on leaps why stop now he, apparently he's never seen it because he wonders if they really do yeah so, i mean i i think that just fell into idle chit chat that was yeah. just dialogue for the sake of dialogue it, and in any other episode i wouldn't have even picked up on it it's just because i love this one so much i was trying to find fault with it and that's i didn't think big tv stars went to the bathroom <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, if you guys are talking about things that I didn't like, I mean, there are a couple of things aside from the whole um, sort of rape aspect to this. Mm-hmm. Um, how did no one catch Norma Jean in the original history? She was the last one seen with the heat. It was a very <laughs> public thing that he was going to a restaurant to have lunch with this contest winner, the soap queen or whatever she was. Oh, yeah, <laughs> the detergent contest. And all of a sudden now he just disappears. 
and nobody tracks her down, the, the last mm -hmm. person to see him. And she also reacts like she doesn't realize a kidnapped person would be noticed as missing. <laughs> yeah, like, especially someone who's fairly prominent. It's weird that Al couldn't, like, find the information. Like, Ziggy couldn't get it that quickly, considering it would have been publicized. Oh, Ziggy's so useless. Now, we we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, with Ziggy being useless as opposed to Ziggy having all the information right away. Because if you recall, when we discussed it in Roberto, Al came onto the scene and boom, boom, boom. Fact, fact, fact. This is, this is who, this is what, this is why, this is how. In this one, we go back to sort of the quantum leap trope of Ziggy doesn't know, and Al giving this convoluted excuse. Uh, well, we're not sure. You're not... No, uh, Ziggy uh, had a new data search component installed and we had to have it chipped in from Hong Kong and I think that gave a little jet lag to the modem of the floppy disk. Why do you make this stuff up all the time? Why don't you just say to me, Sam, we don't know. Why don't you just do that for once instead of making it up all the time? The jet lag <laughs> to the modem of the floppy disk. I love that Sam calls him out and he admits that it's just made up. <laughs> Cut the bullshit. <laughs> Just tell me you don't know. Well, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> There's like um, an extended blooper of them doing this scene. I think uh, Dean Stockwell was like improvising a lot during that bit because he kept like saying a bunch of like random bullshit about Dr. Hunk and stuff and they had to keep like stopping because they kept laughing over it. Well, you know, at least they were having fun. They had such good chemistry together. So I'm sure that this maybe a lot of it was just improvised. Jet lag but... to the modem of the floppy disk. <laughs> No sense. <laughs> the modem of the floppy. Why are you just. <laughs> <laughs> then we had to have it chipped in from Hong Kong, and I think that gave a little jet lag to the modem of the floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> the modem of the. Ow! We've been discussing lore, especially in the last couple of episodes, especially, again, with Roberto. Mm -hmm. Now, you guys tell me if this has ever happened before. Al yells for Gushy to open up the imaging chamber door. Gushy! Gushy, open the door! Doesn't the hand link open the door? Like, yeah. is he sending a, a message to Gushy to open the door from the hand link? The hand link doesn't control the door? I mean, what are we seeing here? Is it just, did anyone else notice that? Uh, I didn't, and yeah. Um. I didn't think about that. I'm not sure. Like, I've he yelled at Gushy a lot, especially earlier, to like center him places, but I don't remember him saying to open the door. Yeah, not to actually open the door, except for you know when the door was uh, sealed shut in the leap back. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course. But but again, he didn't have the he didn't have the hand link to. That's true. You know. Yeah, the hand link should do it. Weird. Just struck me as a little oddity. All right. Give me a second. Quick research. I mean, you can headcanon that easily. You can just say when Al hits the button on the handling, something lights up on the control panel and Gushy knows to open the door or whoever is on duty at the control panel. No, but they say in the leap back that that's what they used to open the door. So Right, right. I'm sure in this instance it was because show, because they needed to amp up the drama. So Al yelling for him to open up the door just gives it that much more urgency. Sure. But... It's just so incongruous with everything we've seen up until now. Well, I've just checked season four. Um, yeah, there's obviously in the leap back, there's the whole thing of him wanting to open the imaging chamber door. Every other time in season four, there's a reference to Gushy. It's sent to me in on somebody or other, except two episodes. 
where he asks for Gushi to open the imaging chamber door, which is this one and Curse of Tahotep. Oh, but there's a reason why he can't get it open in that one. Yeah. Let's compare and contrast. So we have something to look forward to with the mummy episode, as I like to call it. Well, that's the next one. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see uh, what the deal is in that one. And then maybe we'll have a definitive answer as to these little glitches in continuity. Well, it's two episodes where Ziggy's been screwed up by a foreign piece of tech being installed. Mm. But we'll hmm. talk about that next time. We need to get damn American parts. Because <laughs> she doesn't get referenced at all in season three. That's crazy. I don't like damn foreign hand links. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Gushy doesn't get referenced when, Matt? In season three. He's never mentioned in season three? There's one reference in season two. Oh, that's weird. Gushy erasure. Gushy or Yoshi? Yoshi, oh my god. No one's going to know that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, there is a couple in season three. Uh. It's because it's the subtitles sometimes spell it with a U, sometimes with a double O. Oh, I see. Ah. But but again, it's all center me in on. That's every, every Gushy reference, basically, is move me somewhere else. You know what I found very strange about Al in this episode? There was a part that came off weird to me. When... <sighs> Sam gets, like, brought back in, I think, after the payphone thing. Like, Al is is standing next to him while he's chained to the bed, and they're all kind of depressed. And he's like, yeah, this kind of reminds me of when I was a POW in Vietnam. That's where I was going next. Yeah, it just <laughs> casually brings this up. This thing that he barely ever, like, mentions, um, unless he needs to, because it's pretty horrific. Yeah. Um, And it, it's only a clunky way for, like, Sam to ask him for some, like, advice, which he gives him the most basic advice. Like, he's like... They must have taught you something about escape, right, in training. Yeah. Yeah, they taught us some basic stuff, but every situation is different. Give me some basics. Well, they taught us to evaluate the situation, isolate the enemy weakness, and attack it. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> the way he says it, I kind of expect a Save by the Bell-style dream sequence where the, the screen goes all wibbly-wobbly and, yeah, we, we have some nice happy memories of him being a POW. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I remember that time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it was very weird. And it's one of the few times that we, you know, reference Al as a POW. Um, I think the last time that we saw it implied was in Unchained when he was waiting with Sam above the pit. I know that that's it, with the memory that it invoked with us mm -hmm. when we watched that, but when's the last time we actually discussed Al being a POW? I mean, I know it's not a casual topic of conversation for the character, so like you said, Matt, and like you said, Allison, for them to bring it up so casually, so matter-of-factly, and so dismissively, really, in this episode is, is really not par for the course for this show. Yeah, he usually doesn't bring up very serious stuff about his life just casually like that. And especially, like, he just seemed like he was just talking about, like, what he ordered for lunch or something. It was very weird. <laughs> it, it was, um, was kind of clunky dialogue, I think, just to get there. And I, I think it was a little unnecessary or it, it should have been maybe incorporated a little bit differently if they wanted to draw that parallel. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's good in the sense that it does draw upon the through line that we have for our characters. So we've established this as part of his past, so let's use it. It's just a little bit you know, inconsistent with the ways it's been used in the past. I mean, I think, like, if I was going to write it, uh, not to backseat write for uh, Tommy Thompson. <laughs> Are you going to out Tommy Tommy? Friend of the show, Tommy Thompson. 
Um, <laughs> but if I was going to write it, uh, it would be perhaps that this would be the perfect time in the script for it to happen. You know, Sam's kind of despairing because he almost got away and then they, they brought him back um, for him to kind of be losing a little bit of hope. And then now like, you know, trade pep talk like, okay, look, you can get through this. Uh, I've been through this. You know, one thing that I learned when I was in Vietnam is that you need to like hone in on the enemy uh, and just find their weakness and attack it. And then the Sam would be like, oh, okay, well, what can I use? What can I do here? And that would be a way to kind of like, you know, he, he felt like he needed to like tell him that you can survive this. That's perfect. That's beautiful. It doesn't even have to be like a big moment, you know, just pff, a little bit better than like, huh. You know, this reminds me of when I was in Vietnam. <laughs> or that good old time in Vietnam. Bowl of rice a day. <laughs> it's great. I was never in better shape. Wow. <laughs> now, uh, while you guys have been uh, reminiscing about Vietnam, you, you did send me off down a rabbit hole of research. Oh? Um, Gushy, most of the time, as we know, was being asked specifically to center Al in on someone. But in Color of Truth and Portrait for Troyan... Al says, Gushy, tell Ziggy to center me in on someone. He asked Gushy to ask Ziggy to do it. <laughs> I mean, I guess Ziggy is kind of, he is using Ziggy to do it, right? I know, but it just reminds me of uh, Sigourney Weaver's character in Galaxy Quest. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to talk to you so you can talk to the computer. And, and Gushy's going to turn around and say, Ziggy, please center Alan on Troyan. <laughs> and Gushy says, Damn it, I have one job to do with this project, and I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, where were we? I, you shouldn't have got me checking You that. just wonderfully retconned um, a bit of tech that we saw in the leap back and never saw again, which was the um, Star Trek, the motion picture style wrist link. What happened to the that, wrist link? Um, Sam was using, <laughs> what that happened? Sam was using to talk to Ziggy. I think that Gushy was just on vacation that week, so they needed to have a direct line to Ziggy. But when Gushy came back... But Gushy, we, we saw Gushy was there. Union rules. He talked to Gushy in that episode. He was in that episode. It was one of the few times he was Stop. in an episode and not just name only. Stop ruining it for me, Alice. You're not, but it's wrong. You're wrong. By that point, Gushy, by that point, Gushy was living full time at the project. So he might have not been working... But he was physically there, and obviously because of all... Oh, he was there, but he's like, just use the wrist, yeah, Link. I, I'm, I'm on vacation. I'm it's just, you've only come back after four years of being lost in time. I'm taking a vacation. You got this handled? The boss is back. <laughs> I can take a vacation. Who knows how long this will last? Al never got a vacation in five years of television. <laughs> the only time he got a day off was when he was lost in the 40s. <laughs> got a concussion. <laughs> I've been looking busy for four fucking years. You finally came in. I was doing my job. Now I'm leaving. <laughs> oh, Gushy. He was looking busy. So Gushy never actually did anything. <laughs> he just said Ziggy to like imitate his voice. So he'd be like, yeah, Gushy, do this. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> it was never actually him. Yeah, G Gushy left the complex late 1997, according to the novel Song and Dance. <laughs> that was before this. Gushy is... Is an elaborate hologram. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Song and dance, Mindy Peterman. Very nice lady. Anyway, that's the gushy novel. That was fun. That was a fun novel. It's good to know that some of the writers of the novels were nice people. Some of them. <laughs> Unlike that Chris. Ah! That guy. We're mainly dicks. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know what I really loved? Um... When uh, Sam is in the restaurant with Norma and Hank, 
even though he's kidnapped and in a lot of distress, he still gives her a quarter for, yeah, for the that's so sweet. <laughs> and that's why he doesn't have one later. He screwed himself. <gasps> I never put that together. Oh, I mean, there you go. No good deed, right? It wasn't until this watching that I figured that out. I'm like, oh, he gave his last quarter away. Oh, <laughs> He was too nice for his own good. Would it have helped? I mean, Hank just shot the phone anyway, so. He did get through a little bit. I guess they didn't come. <laughs> Not then. Uh, that was another example of a jerk waitress. Keep having jerk waitresses. Huh. You know, I didn't think about Lady, that. Lady, like, she's, like, uh, Norma's like, people always mistake me for Sally Field. I don't see it. I don't see it. <laughs> Did you guys notice? Here's one thing that my mind immediately went to. Um, the leap date is May the 4th. 1985, Star Wars Day. Uh, oh, no. Oh, do you think that was deliberate? Why would it be deliberate? How does Star Wars connect to, to the episode? I don't know. It's maybe Tommy's a Star Wars fan. I'm not saying it's connected to the episode. I'm just saying that it's May the 4th. Well, it's just, it's a date that exists. <laughs> wow, wait a, wait a, are you a waitress on your second job? Or wow, Allison, <laughs> shut him down. Well, what's the connection, though? I don't get the Star Wars connection. If it was deliberate, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> I'm just saying that maybe Tommy put it in as a nod to Star Wars fans. All right, calm down, Allison. It wasn't that it was connected to... Not everything has to be connected to the episode. It's just an observation. It's called a podcast. <laughs> All right, nerd. How rude. I looked it up. Uh, May the 4th, 1985 was a Saturday, and no soap operas would be in production on a Saturday. Oh. So, so there. All right. You brought it all around. Also, soap operas are shot in New York, not in L.A. So that was another. Um, is it always? They don't have any L.A. soap operas? As far as I know, the entire soap opera industry is based out of New York. Um, really? Queens and Manhattan. Yep. Wow. That's strange. Yep. That doesn't seem like that should be right. I believe you, but that seems weird. Look it up. The majority of them anyway are shot in New York. Oh, but not all of them. Maybe. Maybe there's one in L.A. Sue me. <laughs> <laughs> They did have a couple of uh, universal connections in this episode. Um, they did the uh, the Psycho reference, Norma Bates. Mm -hmm. um, they also used the Psycho hotel exterior in a different episode, uh, Hunting We Will Go, I think that was the one. Mm -hmm. And um, also the bridge that they use in this episode is the, uh, it's on the Universal Studios tour. It's a breaking bridge, which is why they have that weird gap there that where like the bridge breaks in half when the, the tour tram goes over it. I guess that's a way to save money, right? Quantum Leap is so damn good at disguising the same sets mm. as different things. Like, you recognize things sometimes, but most of the time, they do a very good job of, like, imitating lots of different states, uh, lots of different exteriors, with a, a fairly limited amount of time and space. Yeah. But there's a lot of, like, recognizable stuff from, like, yeah, the Universal Studios tours and uh, things that they using a lot of universal productions and uh yeah that bridge is one of them yeah i think though i mean they everything's always seems so authentic that unless you've trained your eye to look for it or you're in the industry you're not going to notice it like i know that we i've seen the same new york city street on about 17 <laughs> episodes of quantum leap yeah. and i never say oh there's <laughs> there's that stoop and there's that flower pot that and there's that stoop. that play glass window because yeah. i'm so into the show like it doesn't take me out of it which, like you said, I guess it just speaks to how good they are at um, disguising stuff and redressing stuff and just making you feel like you're in a certain place in time. The set designers, uh, the location scouters, all those people involved with that um, had a very large, uh, probably thankless job 
uh, doing all of that. Like every week they had to come up with something new and, and something old to make it look new. And just, uh, yeah, they did a great job. Mm. I don't mean to say thankless like they didn't appreciate them. I just mean like, you know, I think a lot of people don't think about that when they're watching TV. Well, it's like one of those seamless things. If they're doing their job right, you don't even think about them. So obviously they're doing a great job, like you said. Production-wise, this is an anthology series with all the the challenges in costuming, makeup, casting, with the exception of the two leads. Um, and yeah, like you say, location scouting's a a classic challenge um, that I guess they they had all the way through. What was the name of the set designer for the show? Robert Ziliux, I believe. Yes. Good job. I've tried to reach out to him to talk to him about getting the radios <laughs> on set. So <laughs> it's still a work in progress. Yeah, the fact that this was an anthology series, but also like different time periods, yeah. different places every week, they couldn't reuse stuff. So even more so than the average uh, anthology series, they they had quite a challenge. One other thing, I mean, if we can get back to the episode proper, um, why? Maybe this is maybe this is just me, but the fact that they think that having a baby is going to make their life wonderful, so they're going to kidnap somebody to have a baby. I never understood how babies were the magic cure-all <laughs> for all of life's problems. That's a very TV thing to me. I think that was sort of the point with her character in that she thought this would solve her problems because of... Um what happened with her mother. Her mother OD'd right, in her front of her. Yeah, and she had this messed yeah. up childhood. She wanted to be the mother that she didn't have and she thought that this would solve mm. her problems. And obviously she had like a lot more things going on and a lot of um a lot of things that were leaving her unfulfilled and problems that were unaddressed. So I don't think this was the show, obviously, saying that babies would, mm. would solve her problems. I think that was exactly the issue with her thinking. Why can't it be like it is on television? Why can't it be like it is on television? Oh my god, it's so heartbreaking, though. Oh, <laughs> I feel that. Why can't it be yeah. like it is on television? Yeah. <laughs> why can't Why can't Scott Bakula leap in, save my life? Y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't why can't I kidnap a soap opera star and have Hank lurking in the corner waiting to watch me have sex with oh them? My why? God. Why can't it be like it is on television? It, it kills me when he gi- he gives the list of rules to oh, Sam. He's like, that- read it, and then it starts with Hank's rules. <laughs> Hank's rules. Rule number one: no noise. This includes moaning, groaning, and squealing. Keep reading. Rule number two, no eye contact. This includes staring, winking, and squinting. No squinting? (laughs) Yeah, that's sexy, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It's so darkly funny. Like, that's... Because, I mean, there's no getting around it. Like, she wants to rape him in that scene. And you're right, Chris. Like, if this was switched around, would it be as funny? And they do that in Quantum Leap a lot. You know, it's like, if if this wasn't a guy, would we find this funny? And I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to to this, but uh. no, I think there is. I think I, I'm going to go 99.9 percent of the people out there would say no. This yeah. would be horrific. No, it would be. It would be. Yeah. Um, but why yeah. is it so funny here? Why? why I don't 
don't know. Maybe because the lines are very, <laughs> um, very clever. Um, and obviously it, it didn't happen, but if it had happened, you know, it'd be horrific. I also wonder how forgiving we are because it's early 90s TV. That's true. I, I don't think we're necessarily consciously giving it a free pass, but if it were produced today, would we be asking the exact same question that Chris asked, but taking it a lot more seriously and saying, no, this this should not be happening? I, I don't know. Let's say that this was a show uh, that did star a woman. Uh, it was uh, it was Sam Beckett, but Samantha Beckett. Um, let's say that this was exactly the same. She leaps into a soap star that, like... The, you know, a crazy person kidnaps and wants to have a baby with, and they play it the same, like the, the outrageous kind of like, a baby? And like all the like comedy takes and all this stuff. Would it still kind of work as a dark comedy if they didn't, if they, if it was within what happened in this episode? All right. Now I have two questions to ask. Um, number one, it's a female leaper. Does she leap into a male? So is it the same exact premise where it's it's Norma Jean trying to get busy? Let's yeah, let's say that she did that, or let let's say it was exactly the same, but it's a woman. But the woman is, to all intents and purposes of everybody around her, a man. Yeah, she leapt into a man. Then I think it would still work because then it's just woman on woman, in the yeah. sense that you're not gonna. <laughs> but it's still an assault, though, right? It's not. It's an assault, but you don't. But now, now imagine, now imagine. It's a woman who leapt into a woman, and it wasn't Norma that was uh, making advances in that bedroom, but it was it was Hank. Okay, but y- okay, well, let's look into that scenario. But it's exactly the same, but the genders are switched. They still play it broad comedy. Yeah, I I think that one would not fly yeah. at all. I think with two women, they would make it work because it's a little well, bit. Well, why would it be okay with two women? I'm not saying it's okay. I'm saying that it might have worked the same way this one worked because let's face it quantum leap has had this double standard so often that i was talking about it too much and after a while i just said when this comes up again i'm just gonna say oh that yeah you know how i feel about that let's move on i've already you know beat this horse to death this is just that again but i think that if you were going to i guess the closest i can i can i can determine it's almost like in black on white on fire where you have a, quote, biracial couple mm-hmm. played by two white people. So if you were going to have the role switched and it was a female leaper in, quote, a man and another female making advances towards her, you still sort of have that double standard in place because it's not like it, – it's, it's not rape hmm. as – I, 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 you guys tell me if we need to cut this. It's not rape as you would think traditionally rape of a man assaulting a woman and overpowering them. Because that's usually – when you think rape, that's what you think of. With this, it's just comedy because there's a double standard. I think – are we also still talking in this scenario of this being produced in the early 90s? Yeah. I, I guess. Because you say that like it doesn't matter, but I think it does. Again, I think – if you have a scenario where it's woman on woman in the early nineties, it's <laughs> cool. Um, nowadays, again, we might look at that a little bit more seriously. I mean, I I don't know how I would really feel about it if it had been switched with genders because this is like a, a sensitive topic for me at times. But like, I I watch a lot of uh, early to mid nineties television, and there is a lot of like 
things that are very gross toward women that gets laughed off or, you know, kind mm-hmm. of brushed off. Like, that's just how it is. Uh, for instance, there's uh, an episode of uh, Baywatch Nights, the classic <laughs> Baywatch Nights that I recently looked at that was that I found very gross because um, they have a comedy subplot in it wherein one character, a woman, um, she's drinking with, uh, with a man and she – she goes to his house and like passes out uh, in his bed drunk. Uh, and when she wakes up, he leads her to believe that they slept together and does not let her know till the end of the episode that they slept together. So essentially she thinks that they had sex while she was blackout drunk, which is mm. rape. And if someone can't consent mm. to it, that's what it is. Uh, but they play it for a comedy plot and I found it totally gross. Um, and I don't know how exactly I would feel in this particular episode, because while it is a, a dark comedy, I don't think they play the assault part off as, like, not being serious. It's just sort of the ludicrousness of the situation. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a tough question. Again, if you're going to take the show for a product of its time, then this is perfectly acceptable for... I guess what the conventions of television were at the time and probably it would still fly today. I mean, let's just be serious about it. Let's just be honest with ourselves. I think that you could air this episode or produce this episode exactly as written today because not many people are going to think, well, is this wrong? Is this right? Because no, it's obviously a guy being threatened by a woman and that's just not something that a lot of people are going to be um, upset about because, you know, I don't know. It just again that double standard exists. You know, if they if they did Quantum Leap today, it'd be nice if they did a an episode that was about male assault and them not speaking up about it. One thing I wonder here as well, it, the the classic attitude that we're talking about here in terms of male rape is that well, yeah. It, 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 it can't really happen because a woman can't overpower a man in any way. Men like sex, so that's all fine. And I, in this, no matter what elements of comedy are being played, I think through most, if not all of it, Sam and Scott are playing it deadly serious, and he is scared, although he's he's being brave about it, but he does not want to be there, and he is trying to get the hell out of there as quickly as possible, and he is playing it seriously, and other TV shows the character might have been, yeah, you know what, whatever. And that's when it would have really gone over the line to not being acceptable. And maybe that's part of why this isn't unacceptable, because whilst they don't make a big deal out of it and they don't make it a big message, there is no hint that Sam wants to be there or or is doing anything or is holding back any attempt to get out. He's doing everything he can to get out of there. It kind of struck me how scared Sam was in this episode. Like he was, he was very terrified. So it, it just when one of you just mentioned about the, the the kind of the humorous situation, and it and it that's that's what just struck me. It's the the humor comes from the slightly nutty guest characters, and they and they've put this whole uh, this whole scenario. They've built up this whole situation, which is kind of funny because of who they are, but. Sam is caught right in the middle of it and he is of sound mind and yeah, he is telling us this is not right. 
like he's uh, brought in blindfolded and chained, yeah. and then she starts dancing with him, yeah. and then Hank's sitting there, and he's like, "Are you just gonna watch through this whole thing?" And they're sitting there like, "This is some sort of like business deal, or this is some sort of casual thing that they're doing." And like, "Yeah, of course, you know, let's let's figure out what." Oh no, we don't need all these rules for for what we're about to do and all that. And the, like, he's just sitting there like, "What what is happening right now? Why are we talking about yeah. this? What is going on?" And I think that's what makes it darkly funny. I don't know. There's some analysis to be had there. Like, is it funny? Is it over the line? I don't know. I would like to hear from viewers uh, on this. Mm. Yeah. I say viewers, listeners. <laughs> viewers <laughs> of Quantum Leap who are listening to well, this. Well, they viewed it too. Yeah. There we go. But it is a topic that we've come across in Quantum Leap before, and I'm wondering if we're going to come across it again. Um, it's one that we've been primed to look for because it happens so frequently. Um, so, yeah, we'd love to hear what um, everyone out there listening uh, has to say about it, if you indeed have anything to say about it. But, well, guys, who knew there would be so much to freaking yeah. unpack in uh, Moments to Live? Yeah. I, I have two odd bits of trivia to throw in. If if I don't, I, I sense you're about sure. to start leading us towards... Okay, uh, Matt, yeah, but don't make it about Star Wars, because no. Alison will yell What? Star Wars?! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so number one, I gave myself a hard time earlier on because I mentioned uh, Pruitt's wobbly eyeballs and thought, mm, have I have I mentioned something that I shouldn't? Actually, Tommy Thompson was amazed by his acting but noticed his eyeballs before he was cast and said, that's the craziest and most interesting thing I've ever seen. And that's one of the reasons he got cast, because of the wobbly eyeballs. Awesome. So, all right, I'm going to backtrack and, and give myself a pass uh, because... Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons Pruitt got cast. And Tommy mentioned that in our very own podcast in 2015. So thank you for being a friend to the podcast and uh, and sharing sharing things that I could quote five years later. <laughs> and the other thing is that the French episode titles for Quantum Leap... Now, this is an obscure one, but I like this one. The French episode titles for Quantum Leap sometimes are not direct translations. And there are two episodes that have very, very similar titles. This one is called, excuse the pronunciation, Le Cauchemar. Um, there is another episode that is called Cauchemar. Um, so this episode is called The Nightmare in French. And Dreams is called Nightmares. Oh, all right. So any excuse to mention Dreams, uh, of course. And uh, <laughs> Le Cauchemar! <laughs> <laughs> but imagine that two episodes of a TV show with the same name, except one of them has the in front of it. What's, what's that all oh, about? Oh, man. Well, I mean, I've been watching Baywatch and they just reuse the same titles anyway. I'm <laughs> like, Reunion? Well, we did one last year. We'll do another one just called Reunion. It's fine. So there we go. That, that's my random bits of trivia I wanted to throw out there. Uh, any excuse to mention oh, dreams awesome. and Pruitt's wobbly eyeballs. And those crazy, crazy French. Well, thanks for, for letting us know about that. that. That's very interesting to me. I think the foreign titles are really... Some of them are kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember reading some of them in your book. All right. Well, whether we call it Le Cochemois or Le Cochemaman <laughs> or Moments to Live, uh, <laughs> do you guys have any final observations about Moments to Live? Is this good quantum leap? I think it's good Quantum Leap. It's one of my favorites. I like going back to it every once in a while. I think the dialogue's really sharp. Lots of um, very clever lines in there, physical gags. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it is it is a really good script. It's, it's very on point. And um, 
Yeah, I just I get so excited seeing Kathleen Wilhoit in anything and Pruitt Taylor Vince in anything. Having them both together and the interplay between them, I don't think we even really talked too much about their interactions. Uh, but it's just it's it's wonderful, unbelievable, and it they they create this whole totally believable universe that Sam has been thrust into, and it's uh, yeah it's. It, it, the the more I watch it and the more I analyze it, the more I fall in love with this this hour. And I'm going to concur. I think this is great quantum leap. I think that Tommy is clearly having a ball here. He's in the zone. He's sort of at the top of his game. And um, the comedy works, the drama works. And I think that's because we had such an amazing guest cast. And I was really genuinely moved by the final scene between Norma, Norma Jean and Sam. So yeah, I would highly recommend this one as, as one to watch. All right. So great to talk about moments to live, but you know, what's even greater. Um, moments to live is not the only show around here getting accolades. There's another show around here getting accolades. You guys know, we have some feedback. It's pretty positive feedback. That's always nice. (laughs) Dear quantum leap podcast, you pieces of crap. (laughs) Lots of love. Chris's mom. <laughs> Why can't you have a podcast like those cool people on Becca to the Future? <laughs> you can tell that's a real podcast. <laughs> oh, no. We got a nice email from someone who just recently started following us on the Facebook page as well. So I think he maybe just discovered us, but uh, he didn't waste any time getting in touch with us if that is the case. His name is Florian Alibi. Uh, that sounds like a fake name. <laughs> That's Warren Alibi, yeah. That's not how you pronounce either of those words. <laughs> Surely it's Falarin Alibi. Alibi? Falarin Alibi? There's more A's in that than you're saying. You're just saying DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> Never said I was going to pronounce it. <laughs> Florian Falarian. <laughs> Oh dear. We've got an email from someone. If you recognize this, please phone in and tell us your name. We have an email from this perfectly legitimate person, Florian Alabi. <laughs> Florian Alabi. Allison, please start. Dear Quantum Leap Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Hope that you guys are doing well, despite the current coronavirus pandemic. It is great to listen to you three discuss episodes of Quantum Leap <laughs> about the latest episode, Ghost Ship. The introduction to episode was quite clever. Allison's scary, sarcastic voice adds to the mystery of the Bermuda Triangle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I guess that's a way to go. <laughs> oh, that's- Matt, you gotta do the voice now. <laughs> that's not fair. That's Florin's <laughs> voice. <laughs> oh, dear. No. The points raised were rather good. (laughs) I do, however, slightly disagree that Cooper goes over the top in reference to the PTSD. I think that his past thoughts are causing doubt, leading to panic and a loss of control. (laughs) Oh, keep it together. (laughs) Leading to (laughs) panic. Leading to panic and loss of control, as PTSD can lead to... (laughs) Fuck. I can't can't do a silly voice without (laughs) laughing. I'm sorry. I can't take it seriously. (laughs) As PTSD can lead to reckless behavior. Well, you know, if we didn't make light enough of PTSD in the Ghost Ship episode, we sure have Mm. now. So good on us. (laughs) 
So Falarin wraps up by saying, The episode is very well acted and directed. The guest stars give good performances as well. It was nice of Chris to mention Miss Gugino as another now famous guest star. There seems to be quite a lot of them. And that he had a crush on her. Not had. Have. Thank you very much. By the way, have you seen Gerald's Game? Really good movie, and she's great in it. Let me know your thoughts. Well, I have not seen Gerald's Game, but it has a lot in common with Moments to Live, because from what I understand, it's about a woman who gets chained to a bed. Uh, She's going to do, you know, the sexy times with her husband, and this is what he's into, and then he drops dead. Oh, no! So she's caught chained naked to this bed. And with no way out. That's what I know about Gerald's Game. And I know that it was, a net, I think, a Netflix either a series or a movie that Carlo Gugino starred in. So um, I probably would have seen it and reviewed it if I was still doing Castle Rock TV podcasts, but I'm not. So I don't have any thoughts on Gerald's Game beyond that. Sorry. Anyway. You didn't he, do a funny he, uh, voice. Yeah. Left us high and dry there. Now you just make us sound stupid. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if I have a funny Did voice. Did the last line a funny voice. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> Keep safe during these tough times. <laughs> Good luck in life and in health, and hope to hear from you soon. <laughs> this is my voice when I'm imitating Penny, my Bijan from Texas. And that dino <laughs> DNA. <laughs> I was trying to figure out what that was. Yes. <laughs> oh, no, no, that was perfect. I don't even know what you're referring to. Jurassic Park, Mr. DNA. (laughs) Just one drop of your blood contains billions of strands of DNA. The building blocks of life. A DNA strand like me is a blueprint for building a living thing. And sometimes animals that went extinct millions of years ago, like dinosaurs, left their blueprints behind for us to find. (laughs) Yeah. I've seen that in so long. I had no idea. If you want, I can do the whole podcast in this voice. I'm happy to. So, anyway, Falorin Alabi, he writes, okay. And to wrap up, cheers, Falorin Alabi. I hope I'm saying that right. Florian Alibi. If you want to be Florian Alibi, if you want to be Falorin Alabi, you let us know. (laughs) Either way, we're very happy to hear from you. And have you guys ever seen Gerald's Game? No. No, it doesn't seem like something I would want to watch. (laughs) And if you need an alibi, there are many ways to request one of us. (laughs) I will tell you I was in the pub the whole evening. If you email me at quantumleappodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. If you want to be like Florian or Florin, there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us, like Florin did, at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod, and you can always go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Just remember that your comments may be used in an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, what's coming up next? Well, it feels like we've only just got away from one spooky legend in the Bermuda Triangle, and next we're going to be talking about the mummy one. <laughs> I, I'm just reading the notes from Chris here. The, the mummy one, right? I assume it has an, a title. I love it's just the mummy <laughs> yes, one. Uh, it's the mummy yeah. one coming the up. The curse right? of Tahoe Tech. <laughs> Come on, Dale, get moving. Let's go, let's go. 
Hey, come on, look at your bud. I want to see. Dale, come on, give me a hand here. Dale. Dale, come on. Oh, sorry. Oh, not in my oh, eyes. Oh, God, I'm sorry. Hey, what's gotten into you, huh? I just can't believe where I am. Say that again. Hey, what'd you find there? As for anyone who will disturb the tomb of King Tahotep, death will swallow him. Oh boy. Like an Egyptian. It's um Quantum Leap meets Indiana Jones, maybe? No, yeah. Quantum Leap meets Tales of the Gold Monkey. I am Ooh. pumped for Curse of Pahotep. Yeah. Is it Pahotep or Tahotep? I always thought it was Pahotep. Tahotep? I thought it was a side of P. Well, I guess we'll find out when we rewatch the Curse of Pahotep. <laughs> 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 Uh, I look forward to you mispronouncing that the entire next episode. Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Raul Dale. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see y'all next time. <laughs> that is a perfect Mr. DNA. I can't believe that wasn't intentional. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie, Christopher DeFilippis, and Allison Pregler. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden is the producer. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. And I think I'll get us going. Hello, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Franklin. I just took a drink right as you were starting to give you time. Total professional. I'm Alison Pregler. <laughs> is, is, is that how we're doing this? You want me to start again? I'll start again. Okay. Well, I, I could just you. do my thing again. I, I think Chris's intro was fine. I just fucked it up. <laughs> I'm Alison Pregler. Do it one more time. And you were swallowing. I have fallen down a lift shaft. Oh, but I wanted to do that line even though it <laughs> fell flat on Chris earlier on. I'm doing it anyway. All right. So, all right. So, <laughs> Alison, you start with you again. <laughs> I'm Alison Pregler. I was going to ask Matt, but Matt's not here anymore, so I really have to <clears throat> I have to ask Raul, I guess, but uh, you know, I know that um um <laughs> never mind, the joke's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> no. Let let <laughs>
Should we just drop this? It yeah, seemed like should. a funny idea at the time. I did. But it's, we've been recording this for like three hours now. <laughs> and we have 20 minutes in. <laughs> 20 minutes. We just got the name of the episode. We got more mentions of Smutty Smith. <laughs> Quantum leap. Whose fault is that? I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, I guess it'll give the podcast a sense of place anyway. If people are listening three years from now saying, holy shit, remember that. So, okay. As just long as three years from now they're not listening to this thinking, holy shit, that that was when this all started. I hope we get let out soon. Yeah, during the the zombie apocalypse. They'll be like, oh, this is back in early days. Did you before we go into this? Did, have you guys seen that meme going around that one one of the uh, the stats of the death counts in Finland the other day they reported minus one? Oh right, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did see that. They're like, what's? Oh no, what's <laughs> happened? Yeah, Shit. this is how it all starts. Oh, I better go out yeah. and buy more toilet paper. <laughs> oh no. Je suis moi, maman